Easter Sunday, the greatest day in the history of the world. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is a piece of the gospel story, but it is not the full gospel story. The full gospel story involves God's relationship with humanity from the beginning to the end of time. And we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God creates mankind in his likeness, in his image. We were created to be like our creator. And of course, the fall happens in Genesis 3. But Jesus came in the form of a baby. God sent his only son in the form of a baby to be born in a humble town, Bethlehem. And he would grow up for 33 years and he would die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. And because Jesus is alive, it means that there is good news for you and for I. After Jesus resurrected, he spent time with his followers. And over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus as he spent time with his followers before he ascended to heaven, where the Bible says now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in the throne of heaven, and he intercedes, he prays for you and I. And he sent his Holy Spirit to come and to fill you and I with his presence so that we can fulfill the Great Commission and that we can bring partner with God in bringing heaven to earth. That is the story of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus in a nutshell. And it's what we're celebrating today. That the fact that Jesus is alive means that we have access to the presence of God. That you and I are able to be born again. To have a new spirit. A new nature. Thanks to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read a story today. Uh, that takes place after Jesus is resurrected. Luke chapter 24. You can use your phones. You can open up your Bibles. Let me catch you up to speed. If, you've, uh, if this is your first time reading the Bible or maybe coming to church, in the previous chapters, Jesus is crucified on a cross. He dies a criminal's death on the cross on a Friday. And on a Sunday morning, the women... Some of Jesus' followers, some women go to the tomb early on Sunday morning to bring burial spices. But when they get to the tomb, they see that the stone that was covering the tomb has been rolled away. And there are two angels sitting on top of the stone. And they look at the women and they say, what are you doing here? Jesus is not here. He is risen. And the women turn around and they run back to the other followers to tell the other 11 disciples what they had seen at the tomb. And Peter is in disbelief. So Peter comes back and Peter comes racing to the tomb and he peeks inside the tomb and he sees it empty that Jesus is in fact alive. His body is not there. And then Jesus begins to appear to people after his resurrection. And people have these encounters with the resurrected Christ. Imagine being there in Jerusalem and witnessing his death on the cross, having your hopes dashed, and Jesus in his resurrected body appears to you and shows you that there is hope in his resurrection. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start, we're going to read just half of the story, and then we'll continue on a little bit later. We're going to start at verse 13, verse 13. Now that same day, this is Sunday morning, that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. But they were kept from recognizing him. 
They didn't know who Jesus was. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Oh, the irony in this story. What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, say that with me, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they had not seen Jesus. This is a very entertaining, a very ironic interaction that Jesus is having with these men. They're confused and they're sad because they can't make sense of what is happening. You see, in those days before Jesus died on the cross, the idea of the Messiah, they had been expecting this person called the Messiah. It was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born on earth that the Messiah would come and he would free the people. And in the people's mind, they expected the Messiah to come with military authority, to be this military ruler, to come in and he would overthrow the Roman government and he would free Israel from the oppression of the Romans. They had this idea that the Messiah was going to come with swords and with shields and they read from uh, and they read in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the Messiah would be from the line of David and would establish his throne forever. They're expecting this, this king of kings uh, who comes in might, who's going to establish a physical throne on the earth. They knew in Isaiah 61 that he would set captives free and release prisoners. Daniel chapter 7 spoke about an everlasting kingdom. These people were expecting a revolution. They were expecting Someone to come and overturn Rome and come in with might and set people free. And did you catch what these men said on the road? They looked at each other. They looked at Jesus and they said, we had hoped. We had hoped that this Jesus would be everything we were expecting in our minds. We had hoped that the dreams we had for our future would come true, but they were suddenly crushed when Jesus died. We looked at Jesus and we saw a future with him. We saw him establish an everlasting kingdom. We had hoped that this would take place, but he died on the cross and they were sad and they were confused. Place yourself in this story this morning. Have you ever hoped for something that didn't happen? Have you ever hoped for something that didn't come true? I remember after... Uh, a year after my wife and I were married, she missed her period. Ladies, you know what that means. We looked at each other and we said, oh boy, it's time to go to the store and get a pregnancy test. My wife went to the, the store to get a pregnancy test and she, she, she did the thing. She peed on the stick. That's right. I said peed on the stick in church. She peed on the stick and we put it on the counter and we are hovering over the pregnancy test. And we know, and parents, you, you've been here before, you know what this means. If you see one line... And only one line on this pregnancy test, you know that it's back to business as usual, just a normal day, 
Just a late period, nothing to worry about. Let's just continue on our life as it was going before. But if you were to look at this pregnancy test and see two lines, then everything's about to change. Your world is about to be flipped upside down. And we looked, and in this moment, we saw that second line, and we knew that everything was about to change. We painted the nursery. We bought diapers and clothes. We told our parents. We talked about baby names, and we began to dream about a future with this baby. We saw in our heads us greeting this baby for the first time and saying their name to their faces. We had hoped that this baby would come and change our lives. And a couple months later, we visit the doctor, and they tell us that the baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And suddenly, the joy that we felt in the last couple of months, waking up every morning saying, I can't believe we're having a baby. That joy was suddenly overshadowed with sadness, with confusion. We had hoped that this would be our story. We had hoped that everything would go according to what we saw in our minds. But now that hope is gone. And perhaps this is part of your story. Maybe this, this exact story is part of your story. Maybe, maybe you had hoped your marriage would have worked out. Perhaps you had hoped that you had a better relationship with your adult children. You had hoped that that job opportunity would be given to you, but instead you were left with heartbreak. You were left with confusion, with disappointment. And this is how these men feel as they're walking down the road. They saw a future with Jesus. And they had hoped that everything would have gone according to their expectations, but it didn't because Jesus died. But thankfully, this isn't the end of the story, right? They're about to be surprised. Let's continue reading what happens next. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. By the way, Jesus isn't belittling them. He's not demeaning them. He's calling them to believe and to trust in God's word. That God spoke these things through the prophets. God spoke these things in his words. Don't you believe what God said is true? Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. I love this. Jesus pretends like he needs to keep going. All right, you guys have a nice day. I'll see you later. Where was I? What verse was I on? Oh, 29. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Verse 32, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They returned, or there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Wow. I think that Jesus is trying to tell us some things in this story. What, what is Jesus doing in this interaction with these two men? Why is he kept 
from being recognized by them? And why does he vanish at the moment that they recognize him? What does Jesus want us to know in this story today? I I believe I have five things, five points in my message today that I believe Jesus wants you to know this morning as we read this story. Number one, Jesus walks with us even in the wrong direction. Did you notice that these two men are walking away from Jerusalem? They're walking away from where all the action is happening. The women had reported that the tomb is empty, and they are still walking away from Jerusalem. They're headed home after a feast that is happening in Jerusalem. And Jesus shows up, and he begins to walk alongside of them while they're headed in the wrong direction. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know which direction that you're headed, but the Bible describes following Jesus as a road of discipleship. As a journey, that we are all on a journey, that, and we're either headed towards Jesus or we're walking away from Jesus. There's two directions, either towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't wait for us to become holy so that he can be with us. How many of you are thankful for that? If he waited till we were all holy, we would not have a relationship with Jesus, right? He doesn't wait for us to become holy so that he can be with us. He comes alongside of us and he makes us holy. He helps us to begin walking in a new direction. And we often separate the sacred things in our life from other things. Going to church, prayer, reading the Bible. These are the the things that we consider that God wants us to do before he can be with us. Before he can walk alongside of us, I have to go to church. I've got I've to look the part. I've got to play the part. I've got to act the part. I have to do these things in order for, to have a relationship with God. But Jesus doesn't want to wait for you to have your act together to walk alongside of you. The truth is that you don't have to do anything before Jesus will be with you. He wants to walk alongside of you even in the mess, even in the disaster of life. Even in the heartbreak, even in the sin, in the crushing disappointment, he wants to walk alongside of you, even though you may be headed in the wrong direction. I remember dating my wife, and, and uh, we were both in college, and, and uh, she would come to these youth events at our church, and I would offer to drive her home, even though she was on the opposite side of town, adding an hour to my commute. It was half an hour there, half an hour back. But did I mind? Absolutely not. It was in the wrong direction, but all I wanted was to get to know my future wife a little bit better. All I wanted was to spend time with her. And in the same way, Jesus just wants to be with you. He just wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to start the conversation, even though you may be headed in the wrong direction. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put yourself together. Jesus walks alongside of us in the mess while we're headed in the wrong direction. The second thing is that Jesus allows us to wrestle with our faith sometimes. Jesus noticed that these men were sad because of his death. And I find it funny that Jesus comes to these two men, and they're sad, and he finds out what they're talking about. They're talking about him. They're sad because Jesus died. If it were me, I would have said, surprise, it's me. Guys, don't you recognize me? Look, here's the holes, right? It's me, you guys. And I would have made them feel better, but Jesus doesn't do that. God keeps these men from recognizing him. Why? 
Well, Jesus then proceeds to take them through scripture, and he shows them how his death fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament. That the Messiah had to be a suffering servant, that he had to be a lamb that was slain. I'm sure he read to them Isaiah 53, that by his wounds we are healed. And he began to show them that this is part of the story. But why didn't Jesus do this before he was crucified? Wouldn't it simplify things? He could have rallied his guys together, his, his fellow you know, disciples together. Hey, guys, come here, bring it in, bring it in. Okay, here's the deal. I'm about to go to the cross. And by the way, he did tell them that he was going to have to suffer and die. But he could have explained all the prophecies beforehand. He could have said, hey, look, Isaiah 53 says this, and this is what this person says, and this is what this person says. I'm going to have to suffer, and then don't worry, but don't fear, don't be sad, because I'm going to be alive on Sunday morning. You don't have to worry about it. But he doesn't say that. He allows them to wrestle with their faith. Why? It's going to give these men time to truly ask themselves, do I believe what God said in his word? Do I trust that God's word is true? Do I trust that what he told me is going to come to pass? We all have to ask ourselves that question in some season of life. I think every person wrestles with their faith, and God is not afraid of it. God is not afraid of you wrestling with your faith. He isn't thinking, oh, no, they're wrestling with their faith. I'm afraid they're going to arrive at a conclusion that I don't want them to arrive at. I better do something quick. No, God doesn't do that. He knows that people who are hungry for the truth are going to be satisfied. And it all leads back to Jesus anyway. All satisfaction, all fulfillment, all the answers to all your questions, it all comes back to Jesus. And God isn't worried about people wrestling with their faith. He's not threatened by it. He knows that people are hungry for the truth. They're going to find it. They're going to be satisfied in Jesus. He's always faithful, even in the midst of our faithlessness. Let me say that again. When we are faithless, it doesn't affect how faithful God is. It doesn't have anything to do with who he is and how he continues to move in our life. He's faithful even when we are faithless. And when we see a faithful God moving despite our faithlessness, it builds our faith. And we grow in our faith. We grow in our spiritual maturity. And we seek God even more and more and more. God isn't threatened by people wrestling with their faith. He allows it sometimes so that we ask ourselves the question, do I trust what God says is true in his word? What he already revealed to me in scripture. The third thing is this. Jesus comes where he is invited he comes where he is invited. I think it's funny that Jesus pretends like he needs to keep on going. I mean, these men, they're turning to go home to, to, to um, Emmaus. And Jesus says, all right, well, you guys have a nice day. I'm headed this way. And they go, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Come and stay with us. Because they love Jesus' presence. They're refreshed by Jesus and all the things that he told them about Scripture. And Jesus accepts the invitation. He comes with these men. Perhaps there's some, some of you here today, and you're waiting for God to move in your life. You're skeptical. You're wondering, is God real? And you're waiting for him to part the clouds and to speak to you audibly. Or to walk along the sandy streets of Afreda, the dusty streets, and you see a little message carved in the sand, in the dirt. 
just for you. You're waiting for a sign from God, but did you ever stop to consider that maybe Jesus is waiting for you to invite him? He's waiting for an invitation. He doesn't come where he's not invited, and he wants an invitation. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's that even look like, Pastor? How do I I invite Jesus? What does that look like? Well, let me give you some examples. Maybe there's a financial situation that's causing you anxiety. There's too much month at the end of the money. And you get stressed, and it causes lots of fear. Invite Jesus into that stress by saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do, but I need your help. I'm not going to try to, I don't want to keep on trying to fix these things on my own. I need your help. I need you to come alongside of me. Maybe you battle with depression more often than you'd like to admit. Are the days getting darker and darker? Invite Jesus into your depression, and he will bring joy. Invite Jesus into the sorrow. Begin a conversation with him. Begin just speaking to him. Just begin, begin talking to God. He's available to you. He's present. He's not, he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And he's, he's moving. He's active. The Holy Spirit is here in this place. And he is with you. And he wants to speak to you. All you have to do is invite Jesus. And he will bring you joy. You know, in the summer of 2009, I invited Jesus into my frustration, into my confusion. The summer of 2009, I was back from a year at college. I've told the story at church before, but for those of you who haven't heard the story, this is for you. I was back from a year at college at OSU, and I was, I was confused because I wanted more to Christianity. I grew up in the church, and I thought to myself, if this is all Christianity is, it's going to church, it's hearing the preacher telling you what you shouldn't do, what you can and cannot do, and here's the rules of following God. If that's what Christianity is, if that's what faith is, then I don't want anything to do with it. I was also frustrated because I, I'm, I'm in my freshman, sophomore year of college, and everybody's asking me, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to get a degree in? And I don't know what I want to do. I'm conf- I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I bring value. I don't know what I'm good at. And I'm confused and I'm frustrated. And I invited Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I... I'm about to throw in the towel. I was on the brink of walking in the wrong direction. I'm about to let go. I don't know how much of this I can take any longer. And I asked Jesus to come and to meet with me. I invited him into my bedroom. And now my bedroom was separate from the rest of the house. I lived in a one-car garage. It was a nice setup. I had a heater and everything. It was carpeted. It was great. And I locked the door to the room because I wanted some privacy, and I began to just play a song, a worship song, and it was the song, How He Loves Us. He loves us, oh, how he loves us, and it just played over and over. About the fourth time it played, I felt the presence of God come into my room, and I just began sobbing. And I didn't see Jesus with my physical eyes, but I could see him in my mind walk into the room. Because I invited him in there, and he knelt beside me as I was crying, and he rocked me in his arms. He held me in his arms and began rocking me back and forth, telling me how much he loved me. And I remember that moment thinking, no, I've been here before. I've been to summer camp. I've been to conference. I know what emotional hype feels like. In about three weeks' time, it's going to be back to business as usual, and I'm going to forget about this experience. But in that moment, I said, Jesus, if this is really you, if you are in the room right now with me, then somebody else should be able to feel it too, right? So I got up and I unlocked the door to my room, hoping that somebody would come in to see if they felt this presence of God as well. 
And about 10 minutes after I unlocked the door, I could hear the sliding glass door in the house open, and I could hear my brother's voice and one of his friends. They were heading into my room to play the Xbox because I had all the video games in my bedroom. And I turn around just in time to see my brother open up the door, and as soon as he steps through the threshold of the door, he begins sobbing uncontrollably. Just He let go, just weeping and weeping. And I look at him, and I'm shocked, and I say, Brian, do you feel this? Do you, are you experiencing this too? And he goes, what is happening in here? And I said, Brian, it's the presence of God. Come and kneel beside me. Like, come worship with me. And so him and, and his friend, who actually ended up marrying my sister, my brother-in-law, the two of them come and they kneel beside me. And we begin worshiping God for the next 10 or 15 minutes. I had an experience with God because I invited him into my confusion and in my frustration. Now, did I want to? No, my heart was angry. My heart was bitter, but it took this act of humility just to say, God, I just want you to move despite me. And before that moment, I thought God was disappointed with me. I thought he was angry with me and and he wasn't readily available to me to comfort me. But I saw Jesus clearly in that moment and I realized that he loved me and he couldn't wait to spend time with me. The fourth thing is this. Jesus is seen clearest at the table of intimacy. What do I mean by that? These two men, they didn't recognize Jesus until he blessed the food and he broke the bread. And in the Bible, sharing a meal with someone, sitting at the table with someone, was the most intimate place. that you, It was the most intimate thing you could do with somebody. This is back before we had smartphones, right? Because dinner with people now looks like this. Everybody puts their phone on the table. Or keeps it in their person. As soon as you hear one phone buzz, everybody picks up their phone to see if it's theirs, right? Or maybe, you've, maybe you're like me and my wife at times and our kids are catching us in this. We'll be at the dinner table and we'll, we'll be eating with our kids and we're just scrolling through emails or Instagram or doing something. My, my dad goes, Dad, you're turning into a zombie. I go, okay, you're, oh, sorry, not my dad, my, my son, Gideon says that to me. Dad, you're turning into a, a zombie. And I put my phone down. But... Back in the days of Jesus, sitting at the table with somebody, you had their undivided attention. You had somebody's undivided attention. You sat with them, probably on the floor, and you shared life together. And it was a time for you to quiet yourselves and to eat together and to really get to know somebody. The table was a place of intimacy. And Jesus comes with these men, and they invite him to come and sit at the table with them. And Jesus breaks bread. And he blesses the food, and their eyes are open, and they recognize who he is. This, is. this is the resurrected Messiah. This is the resurrected Savior. This is Jesus, the God of all creation, who should be somewhere in the skies throwing lightning bolts, instead is sitting at a table with just two of his followers. The resurrected Christ. If it was me, I'd be like, I'm going to get the best bang for my buck. I'm going to find the biggest crowd. I'm going fi- to find where the most people are at, and I'm going to show them myself. And by the way, he did do that to about 500 people. They saw his resurrected body. We see that in Cor- the book of Corinthians tells us that. But in this moment, Jesus doesn't worry about all that. He goes to two of his followers, and he sits at the table with them. And it was at that moment that they see Jesus clearly. And then he vanished. Bye. I'm going to go visit some other people now. See, the longer you sit with Jesus, the more clear he becomes. 
At first, we've get, we got this general idea who, who Jesus is. When we first hear about Jesus, when we first kind of have an idea of who he is, we, we have just this real blurry picture. We don't really recognize him. We don't really see him for who he is. We just know, I know he died on the cross, something about my sins. He had some disciples. He said something about loving your enemy. We got this general idea who, who Jesus is. But the more you spend time with Jesus, the clearer he becomes. The more that you read your Bible and the more you continue to invite him into situations and pray to him, you begin to see more and more of who Jesus is and what he's passionate about, what he loves, what makes him tick. I want to sit at the table every single day and see Jesus more and more clearly. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you, you realize, maybe you're here today and and you're, you're a CEO is what we, what we call you in the church world. You come, to, you come to church on Christmas, Easter, and other. You're a CEO. I don't know if that's you. And no judgment here. I love CEOs. But maybe, maybe you, you, you realize, man, I, I think I'm the person who's walking in the wrong direction. And I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to quit. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Maybe, the, maybe you're here today and that's you. Maybe you're here today and you've stopped in the middle of the road and you're wrestling with your faith. Maybe you're a young person. You've grown up in the church and you're, you're at this pivotal moment in your life where you're deciding, do I believe what my parents have taught me? Do I believe what people tell me about Jesus or do I not believe this? And you're wrestling with your faith. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you're in this room and you've recently invited Jesus into your life, but you don't see him clearly. It's hard. It's a tug of war. I would say that uh, shortly after you say yes to Jesus is one of the hardest seasons of your life because you feel this, there's these patterns and these behaviors that, that are trying to drop off of you, and you need to surround yourself with people who can walk alongside of you in that season of life. But you feel this tug of war. You've invited him in, but you can't really see him super clear. You get this faint idea of what he wants for your life. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're sitting at the table and you're beginning to see Jesus more clearly. You're beginning to see who he is and what he wants for your life. But here's the fifth thing. Jesus not, not only wants to do all four of those things, walk alongside of you. He not only wants to help you as you wrestle through your faith. He, he not only wants to be invited. He not only wants to sit at the table, but he ultimately wants to set your heart on fire. He wants your heart to burn. One of the greatest lines in the New Testament, I think, is this. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us on the road? Were we not burning? Did you feel that? Did you feel what Jesus was doing inside of us when he was speaking to us? When he was showing us scripture? We were coming alive. We were fully alive. Our hearts were burning. You see, Jesus isn't just a historical character. That makes some people feel good about life after death. You know, I, I talk to people and they're like, I'm so glad that you found something that makes you feel good about your loved ones dying. I'm so glad that you found something that makes you feel good about life after death. That's good for you, but it's just not for me. Jesus is not a historical character that makes some of us feel good about life after death. Christianity is not a spiritual practice that some people commit to after they've had their fun and want to settle down. Well, you know, maybe someday I'll take my family to church. I'll tell them about Jesus and, you know, I'll kind of like, you know, do what I have to to get my golden ticket to heaven and, 
But for now, I'm just, I'm, I'm young. I want to explore life. I want to have my way. I'm not done doing what I want to do yet. No, Christianity isn't something that you commit to after you've had your fun and you want to settle down. Jesus, as it says in the word, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God himself, and he's alive today. And his ultimate goal is to set your heart on fire for you to be passionate about him, to give you this insatiable desire to pursue God. There's no going back after tasting the goodness of God. When Jesus is your foundation, when you've tasted the goodness of Jesus and he takes over your life, your marriage is built upon the foundation of Jesus. Your parenting is built upon the foundation of Jesus. Your career, what you decide to do with your life, all depends on what Jesus says and what he wants you to do. Your financial life, your, your, your downtime, your leisure activities, they all are built on the foundation of Jesus. Why? Because nothing else is so good and makes all those other things so good. Jesus is what makes life beautiful. The world, believe it or not, the world is craving Jesus. They have other words for it. They want justice in the world. People want justice in the world. We want to experience peace in the world. We want to experience unconditional love and acceptance with one another. But oftentimes the minute you say the name Jesus, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. I said I wanted justice and love and peace and joy, not Jesus. But the Bible says that he is all of those things. That all of those things are found in the person of Jesus. Maybe you've been running and running and running for years, and you've been trying to find all those things outside of Jesus. Maybe it's time to realize that the answer is found in the person of Jesus. We can't pursue a life outside of Jesus and expect to experience his unconditional love, the peace that surpasses all understanding, the joy that gives us stability even in the most Terrible of times. The joy of the Lord is our strength, is what the Bible says. I want to invite Mary to come up and play as we close this time together. But Jesus wants to set your heart on fire. He wants you to burn for him. After saying yes to Jesus, I could only see myself marrying someone who loved Jesus more than she loved me. It was non-negotiable. After saying yes to Jesus, I can only see myself teaching my children about Jesus because he is the answer. He's the only thing that has ever made any sense in my life. I could only see my life dedicated to something with eternal significance, doing something that the Lord, now that doesn't mean being a pastor, doesn't mean speaking on stage. I mean, everything that I do, I want it to have eternal significance. Everything that you do, your workplace, students at school, in your family. God wants to move in such a way to where your life has eternal significance wherever you go. My free time had to only include things that are going to encourage me and pursue Jesus more. Am I perfect at this? Absolutely not. But there's a pull and there's a desire to please God because he's so been so good. His grace has been so good. I'm sold out. There's no going back. All of my chips are in the center of the table. All of my eggs are in this one basket. 
That was not an Easter pun, but that made a lot of sense. I'm sold out. I can't go back because Jesus is the best thing to have ever happened to me. And if you're here today, and maybe maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time, I think God wants to set you on fire again. I think he wants your heart to burn once again. He wants to, to give you a new level and show you that a life that you see in the book of Acts is for you. A life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. A life full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's all for you. He wants it for you. Is life still hard? Is there still trouble? Is there still pain? Are there still consequences for our actions? Absolutely, there are. But Jesus promised a joy that is a stronger feeling than any other emotion. That no matter the struggle and no matter the chaos, the joy of the Lord is your security. It's your foundation. He promises a peace that we can't explain. And some of you who have been following Jesus, you know this peace. That when there's chaos, when there's death, disappointment you feel at peace because your security isn't coming from that thing when the bank account runs empty your security wasn't in the bank account it was in jesus and that never changed even though the bank account did when a relationship ended and that person walked out or that friend said that they don't need you anymore or they don't you don't provide any any anything to their life when that person walked out the door there was a peace. Yeah, there was a heartbreak, but there's a peace because your security didn't come from that person. It came from Jesus, and he never changed, even when that relationship did. When you have felt sad, and you felt alone, and you felt like nobody was there for you, the unconditional love of Jesus is the one thing that never walked out, that never left your side, and he promised that to, to us. And it's because he's alive that we have access to all of that. He wants to set you on fire once again, church. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite some of you to take a step of faith. And I don't think there's any, uh, any better day than today to start fresh with the Lord. First of all, I want to ask if there's anybody in the room who's never said yes to Jesus. I don't know where you are on this journey, on this road to, to Emmaus. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you're saying, I have never declared with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I've never invited him into my life, and I want to do that. I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. I want my heart to burn. I want my life to mean something more than what I'm trying to do on my own strength. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're in this room and you say, today I have to give my life to Jesus. I I want to. It's I feel him calling me. If that's you, would you be so bold as right now to raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand in the room. All across the room. I see the hand in the back. Anybody else? Raise your hand high so I can see it. Anybody else? Yes, I see your hand up here in the front. Anybody else? Raise your hand high. Would everybody repeat this prayer with me? Jesus, I love you, and I want to see you clearly. 
I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. And I change my ways. I invite you to come to fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can begin walking in a fresh start. Jesus, you are Lord. And I love you. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for heaven on earth. Thank you for heaven in my heart. Praise Jesus. The second, second thing I want to ask, you can put your hands down now. Second thing I want to ask, if, if you're here and you want the Lord, you feel like it's been dry, you feel like it's been, it's been empty, your heart hasn't burned in a long time. Scripture says this, David prayed in Psalms, restore to me the joy of my salvation. In other words, I want to feel and I want to live as I once lived when I first said yes to you, when you first saved me, when I first saw how good you were. I want to feel like that again. I want to be like that again. Restore to me that joy. Restore to me my salvation, the joy of my salvation. If that's you in this room and you say, Lord, I need you to restore to me that joy. I don't want to go dry. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be an apathetic Christian that doesn't care about what you care about. I want my heart to burn for the things that your heart burns for. If that's you, raise your hand all across the room. Raise your hands up. If that's you, say, Lord, restore to me that joy of my salvation. Thank you, Father. With everybody in the room, would you just put your hands up towards heaven and would you pray, Jesus, restore the joy of my salvation. Make my heart burn once again. And allow me to care about the things that you care about. And to hate the things that you hate. I want to be more like you. Don't stop now. What you've begun, complete it in my life. I love you, Jesus, and I surrender to you once again. Amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a shout of praise? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. For those of you, those of you who said yes to Jesus this morning for the first time, don't stop here. In fact, I would say that, that this is one of the most challenging parts of life is, is when you say yes to Jesus, there, there's an enemy that tries to pull you back into the old ways. And he, he doesn't want you to be, begin walking in this life that Jesus has for you. And the most important thing, I think, is to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you and keep pressing you to follow Jesus. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, pray. Ask, ask the Lord for help. But surround yourself with people who are going to push you in that direction. I'd encourage you. We have a class that we do on the second Sunday of every month. It's called Grow Class. It's for new believers, but it's also for people who uh, just want to know more about our church and how to get connected and how to join a small group. And I'd invite you the second Sunday of next month, we're going to be doing a grow class. Come and join that. Sign up for a small group. There's a whole list of, of wonderful uh, small group hosts and people that would love to meet you and embrace you into their small group. And uh, my prayer is that you would find a family here. You would find a community here that loves you through the storm, that loves you through the mess, even when it gets hard. And that's what we're about. God bless you, church. I pray a blessing over you. 
I pray that God would richly fill you with his love, that he would show you more and more and more of who he is. In Jesus' name, have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. We'll see you next week.